all the way through Hebrews chapter 10, verses 14 to 25 tonight. Uh, Coming out of the shadows is our series that we've been talking on. Um, I intended to finish it off, but I did not intend uh, to have uh, a discussion like this regarding this breaking news, but it's critical that you know. Um, So uh, we'll pick it up. Thank God no matter what happens in our world, the Bible will be here tomorrow. (laughs) So I'll, I'll read it to you for time's sake. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Look at that, being sanctified. Presently, as a Christian, you are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, that is the sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, pay attention, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Powerful. We've been here for a few weeks. Coming out of the shadows is what we're calling this, and we'll jump right in. If you've missed the previous studies, they're all there online, and you can catch up with us as we are now looking at this uh, portion of scripture in these verses, uh, the fourth installment on this. And we do come, by the way, to the fourth point. And that's in verses 14 to 18. Coming out of the shadows means this, that we are a people who are rejoicing in recreation. In recreation. If you put the words together, it's almost as though you're saying recreation. And uh, that's actually not a bad word, recreation. Uh, you could argue that the word recreation, recreation, and Sabbath means the same, to rest. But in this sense, we are a people who rest in the newness of who we've become in Christ. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. So as we look at this, uh, we'll follow together. We'll go through this together. Verse 14, we're looking at a recreated uh, person, you and I are, uh, at his expense or at his cost. And we touched on this last time before we had to end, and it's this. For by one offering, that is Jesus Christ himself, by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I want you to be uh, set at ease immediately. You you might say, Pastor Jack, I thought I was sanctified. The Bible says I was sanctified. Uh, That is true. Uh, And the book of Hebrews will later on stress that again. You have been sanctified. Yeah, but it says right here, I'm being sanctified. So which one is it? Am I saved or am I getting saved? Listen, you were saved the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. We covered this, by the way, on Sunday in the book of Romans. 
You are saved from eternity past in the mind of God if you are a follower of Christ. God, God knew from all time and eternity that you'd come to him. We'll study more of that on Sunday in the book of Romans. But here in the book of Hebrews, it announces that the believer, you, the follower of Christ, you are sanctified in a past tense. It's done. But you're being sanctified, which is what's referenced here, in your day-to-day -day walk with Jesus, with me, with you, with one another. We come from the place of being sanctified. Positionally, you're, you're, you're settled. Church, listen. Positionally, your name is written down in heaven. Positionally, you're perfect. Did you know that? Positionally, there's no record of sin in your life. That is the bookkeeping of heaven right now. In heaven, where your name is, you are just as righteous as the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, by his blood. That's positionally, and by the way, that's what matters, positionally. That's how it ends. We should all get excited about how this ends. We are moving into victory. It's waiting for us. The trophy, as it were, uh, has already been set. It's got your name on it. You're in route to receive it. But in the meantime, you and I live as we do, and we are being sanctified as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And in eternity, when we're there before him, those two realities will intersect perfectly. Does it make sense? It's kind of a hard thing to explain. It's all done, it's all one, but it's being worked out in two ways. One, we are resting, our name is written down in heaven as believers, and it's settled. In the meantime, you and I are living out our lives, thus we are being sanctified in this process of living. And there's no contradiction. There's no contradiction at all. Just as there should not be any contradiction, for example, with the book of James. The book of James announces to us that I will show you my faith, James says, by my works. The book of Romans says, I will show you where my works come from. They come from the place of origin, my faith. The just shall live by faith. But those who have been justified by faith, get up and walk and James would applaud you every day for getting up and walking and being obedient because it's your works that prove that you have faith in Christ. Are you with me? You're not saved by your works, but your works prove that you're saved. Big difference. It, that, was a, that was a weak amen. Did I go over your head? Are you still thinking about the earthquake? Are you okay? Amen? Amen. Amen. For by one offering, he has perfected. This is amazing. Perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The word perfected means this. It means to bring to an end. It means to bring to full completion. This is what's going on in your life, friends. To accomplish, to achieve. How about this? To reach a goal. Yes. And then the word sanctified, you know it already. We've studied this before. And that is to take what is unholy and make holy. To consecrate, to set apart for a specific purpose. God has done this in your life for a purpose. I want to read you Albert Barnes. He's a great theologian from yesteryear, um, about 1830s, I believe it was. But listen to what Albert Barnes has to say. Uh, the doctrine here taught 
in this verse is that all those who are in any measure sanctified will be perfectly sanctified or made complete forever. It is not a temporary work which has begun in their souls, but one which is designed to be carried forward to perfection forever, Albert Barnes says. And that is a great statement. That is true. That encompasses both of those things. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. How we love this portion, this verse. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. But right here, just verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... By the way, everybody, that's the buzzword for all of us today. That's the code word. That's it. I don't, don't tell me that you're born again. Everybody's born again now. Dogs are born again. Uh, forget about it. Yes, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, but people are throwing that word around like it means nothing now. Don't tell me you're a Christian. Anybody can say they're a Christian. I'm done with it. Either be a follower of Jesus, and if you really know your Bible, you know, you know the inside lingo. And that is in Christ. We ought to start asking people who claim to be a Christian, are you in Christ? That's going to, they're going to, what? If, listen, if that, if that puts them on their heels, probably not talking to a Christian. You're talking to somebody who's very uh, religious and they've assigned themselves to the Christian faith. That's a, that's a tough thing to say, but it's a, it's a necessary thing to say. But anybody can say they're a Christian and anybody can say that they've been born again. But is it true? And when we talk about being in Christ, well, now that separates. And he's talking about those who are in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. That's it. Old things have passed away. Church, listen. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is one of the greatest news statements you'll ever make. One of the great theological treaties just in one verse. Everything of the past has been done away. Christ, by the Spirit of God, has made me a new person. And all of the past is gone. I've been recreated to live for God now. And all things have become new. You can't get a better start than that. Amen. That is awesome. That is glorious. In Revelation, I'm going to skip for time, but in Revelation chapter 21... Verses 1 through 5, you can read it in its totality later. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things, what? New. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. God makes everything new. You want to be made new? You can be made new. He, he actually starts you over. You don't have to live like you've been living. You don't have to continue on like it has been. He can make you brand new. And he starts on the inside, brand new thinking, brand new desires, brand new passions, a brand new life. And, and he's so faithful to do that. And, and I, I could pray people up here all night long who would just walk up to this microphone and say, this is what he did to me. This is how he made me new. And the next person behind them would say something else and it's what he does. He recreates. And it's at his expense. It's at his cost. He's done this. We also learn this in verses 15 to 17 is that he creates by his work. It says in verse 15, but the Holy Spirit also 
witnesses to us, for after he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them, this is fascinating, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, and I will write them, verse 17, then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these things, there is no longer an offering for sin. Verse 18 simply means if you come to a proper understanding of your relationship with God and what he's done for you, uh, you don't have to deal any longer with uh, the sin offering for salvation or forgiveness that you now have a working relationship with God. More on that in a moment. It has been remarkable to me in putting our notes together for tonight that it dawned on me that these verses right here, we've been quoting them in Romans, we've been quoting them numerous times in the book of Hebrews, and I was just, you know how you, I was just saying to the Lord, Lord, this is a recurring theme. What's, What's up? And it dawns on me, like it dawns on you, that when there's a recurring theme, where I'll, I'll give you a new heart, God says. Over and over again, I'll give you a new heart. In that genre of argument, there's, it's for a reason. It's kind of like you might come to service here tonight because you go to a different church on Sunday. A lot of you do. This is a different church on Wednesday nights because your church doesn't have a midweek service. But when stuff like this happens, you hear tonight, and then you go to your church on Sunday, and you'll hear a message that brings your memory back to what you're hearing right now, and it's God speaking to you the same truth. What's going on? There's a theme. He wants you to be knowing something. And that something that we need to know is him announcing, you need a new heart, and I, I'm the one that puts it in you. Amen. And I'm going to put some new information into your mind. And it's all going to be done on the inside. God's going to go to work for you on the inside. And so in verse 15 says, the Holy Spirit also witnesses. This is a remarkable thing, everybody, that cannot be overstated. Note this in verse 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, notice this. I, it's not important, but I think the author of the book of Hebrews is the Apostle Paul. It doesn't matter. I just think it is. The point is this. Whoever the author of the book of Hebrews is, they believe that the God of the Bible is the author of the Old Testament, that the Old Testament is 100% the word of God. And he set you up by saying this, that the Holy Spirit is speaking. How do we know? Let's go to the Old Testament and read it. That's what he's basically saying. Why? Because he's going to quote Old Testament passages. Are you with me, everybody? You can trust your Bible, Old and New Testament. In fact, listen to this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. This is a great thing. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 begins, Knowing this first, Peter says, that no prophecy of Scripture, utterance of Scripture, is of any private interpretation. In other words, you can't make up the meanings. The Bible interprets itself. You cannot make up meanings to the Bible. That's against the law. You'll be in trouble with God. It's the Bible. Well, this verse means this to me. You can't do that. You are offending God, and you cannot. No one's got the authority to do that. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy or the revelation never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
When that was said by Peter, there was no New Testament. The New Testament was in the writing. He's speaking about the Old Testament. Verse 16, this is what was said. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. This is a very serious statement made by God here. That word after, after what days we would ask that question, says the Lord. God is saying something's going to happen. And I will put my laws into, your, into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. God here is announcing out of the book of Jeremiah, we've read it so often, I think you guys memorized it by now, but it's Jeremiah 31, 31 to verses 33. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 33, where God says that, the author of Hebrews is saying it, the law is going to serve its purpose, the law is going to come to an end, the Old Testament's going to be finished and I'm going to do a new work, and this one is not going to be written on stone. I'm going to put it inside you. See, you and I live now. Boy, I'm telling you, back in the day, Noah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and David and Joshua, they would have loved to have experienced what you and I experienced today. You and I know what it's like to have the Spirit of God in us, speaking. The Bible speaking. You hear the Bible talking inside your head as, a, as a, a follower of Christ, as one in Christ. He speaks from the inside out. In those days, he didn't inhabit the believer. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit did not live inside of David. That's why David cried out in Psalm 51, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. It wasn't until the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came in and dwelt in and upon the believer for power. We live in a time, church family, where we should be the most effective of any age since Genesis. We have no excuse. We have the internal dwelling power of the Holy Spirit. But we look around and we see on the world stage the church so weak and so quiet and so silent and so... um, I don't know, apathetic. I was reading, um, I forget which book it was this week, and yet it was talking about that, oh, it was, it was regarding the first Continental Congress call to prayer. And... Samuel Adams called for a local pastor to come and pray because they, they couldn't agree on anything. It happened again later on, by the way, with Ben Franklin, but this first one was with Sam Adams in 1774, and that pastor came in and he prayed, and it was, it's epic. You can read about it. He prayed Psalm 35. It was just incredible, and but the point that I'm making is this, is that when, when the word went out, they wrote, those in the room wrote and attested to the fact that there was almost an immediate spirit of unity among Anabaptists, among Congregationalists, among various denominations of the founding fathers. Our founding fathers They had various denominations that didn't agree you baptize people forward or backward. They didn't get along on many things. But the Spirit of God moved and united them. 
How does he do that? By internally dwelling within. It's amazing. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus echoes the same. Do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, that is hyphen or comma, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus is speaking about the Old Testament. Very, very powerful. Number five, church, coming out of the shadows, is the recreation is better, verses 19 to 22. What God does is better, obviously. Thank God. Better because of his blood. Somebody once said, the Christian faith is a bloody faith. Well, the Christians talk a lot about blood, but if you really want to talk about a, a bloody faith, you would, of course, think of Judaism or the Old Testament practices. That was bloody. I don't know if they ever talked about blood much back then. I don't know. I wasn't there. But they had to deal with blood every day as priests. But we don't deal with blood every day tangibly, do we? But we benefit from blood every day, you and I. And I'm not talking about your blood or mine. I'm talking about his blood. Amen. Oh, you Christians always talking about blood. Yeah, we have a reason. As long as you just know we're talking about his blood. And um, look at verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. Well, first of all, he's not talking about the temple. But you say, Jack, at the time of this writing, the temple was still standing. Yes, it's going to be two and a half years after this writing. The temple in Jerusalem will be torn down by the Roman armies invading. So the temple is still standing. So can you imagine, can you imagine being able to look out the window right now and you would see up on the hilltop this grand and glorious 130-foot high building that's, called, that's the temple that has been there and that, and you, there's the temple. That's our identity. That's where God lives. And you'd have all the traditions and all the historical records to prove it. But listen to this bomb drop. You've got to put yourself in their sandals. You know, I'm going to interrupt myself, and I've got to come back to this. There are people today who start out maybe right here tonight or maybe in a, in a setting somewhat like this, and they get going along, and then they wind up becoming bored. Uh, that always happens, by the way. When you don't let yourself be used by God, you will become bored. Christianity is a very, very kind of a dangerous thing. Because if you know what to do and you don't do it, then it's almost like having a millstone tied around your neck. It's better for you never, never to have known it. It's ve you're very responsible to what you hear, you know. And so, if you can look and see the temple, then you're thinking everything's okay. When this is written, the temple was standing. So with that in mind, listen to this again. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood, the holy of holies. Can you imagine? The blood of Jesus by a new and living way. It took something having to die for the priest to go into the temple. Are you with me? 
This author is saying, not anymore. You can forget about that thing on the hill. It's done. Well, what are you talking about? There's a new and living way. And you don't need an earthly priest to have boldness to enter in. The word boldness, the best picture for this Greek word in boldness, it would be this. Imagine if you are in a boardroom meeting and you're the chairman of the board and everybody's wearing their suits and dresses and all decked out. They've got their briefcases and laptops and it's all there and it's a, it's a mega million dollar deal going on and everybody's sweating it out and the doors to the boardroom come flying open. And the chairman of the board, his five kids come running in, jumping on top of the table, sitting on dad's shoulders, playing with them, flying an airplane over his head. Dad's playing with them. He's giving them candy and they're goofing off. And the rest of all these stockholders and stuff, they're sitting there mortified as to what's going on. What is going on? What's going on is that the kids just came into the room. The chairman of the board turned into a dad the moment the kids came into the room. Think of this. We have in our minds a priesthood that is cold and liturgical. And many times when people give up on Jesus and stop reading their Bibles, stop doing Bible, they get bored, but they're still religious. So they leave off what is a natural relationship you should have with God, which is personal, they gravitate back toward the statues, the candles, the liturgical practices. I'm not knocking anyone. Please listen to this. If you think, look, I know it's, let's be honest, it's beautiful. Don't think wrong of me. But I love the sound. On Spotify, on one of my folders, I have, and then I have hours of Greek Gregorian chants from cathedrals, from monasteries, a cappella. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's beautiful music. But when I turn it on, I don't, I don't, I don't, <laughs> until the song's over, are you with me? I just, I just like it. You, you may not like it. That's your business. And don't, don't write me. Okay. How could you like that music? Well, how can you like ACDC? I don't like them. How can you like them? Don't, so it's just, it's, I think it's, it sounds cool. But listen, it's not religious to me. But if you start practicing traditions because you feel closer to God because of a candle. Seriously, if you, if you feel closer to God because of an icon, then there's an idol between you and God. Amen. And he, you may be fine with it. He's not fine with it. Amen. He wants you to have that experience with him personally. I'm studying today. Lisa comes home midday, which is unusual for her. She's usually here for all the time. She comes home at midday, and this thought in my mind. I'm reading, thinking, studying about this, and if, if I had 
I don't have my phone with me. If you look, if on, so Lisa is on the, co- is on, what do you call it? You know the phone, the screensaver. Is that what that is? Wallpaper. On my phone, Lisa, okay. So she's on, uh, it's her graduation picture from high school. So she said, oh. <laughs> okay. I'm just trying to make a point here. It's just, if I'm looking at that, if she comes in the door and, and I go, oh, hi. And I look at the camera, the phone. And I'm kissing the phone. And she's standing right there. There's something wrong. Y'all agree. Jesus is standing right there. And you're kissing this icon. You're kissing this candle. You're kissing this thing. It's got to be the... Are you hearing me? It has to be personal. And that's where, the real, that's where the real relationship is. Well, that sounds kind of tough. You know what? Let's be honest. It is tough. It's tough because you know what? God doesn't goof around. God says, listen, I want all of you or none of you. Amen. Well, man, that's kind of demanding. <laughs> you think so until you find out how much he loves you and you sit with him and he speaks to you out of the Bible. Amen. And the, the word of God takes life into your face and gets inside of your heart, and then all of a sudden, whatever he says, it's like, let's do it. It's, it's not a burden. It's not a bummer. It's glorious. But if I'm trying to find him in something, and he's standing right here, something's wrong. Now listen, we can have boldness in fact, technically, if you're a believer, if you're, if you're in Christ, you have boldness. Listen to what the word means. The word boldness means that you have, uh, you've been cleared. It means cleared. You've been cleared to enter. Uh, you have the confidence. You have the assurance uh, in an unwavering way. And I wrote some things down, just real quick. Um, this is what I, I heard in my head. Things like this, you and I should be saying all the time. Lord, here I come. In Jesus' name, my Lord and Redeemer, Lord, here I come. In Jesus' name, my great high priest, Lord, here I come. In Jesus' name, my rock and fortress, Lord, here I come. In Jesus' name, my great carpenter, he's the one building your life. Lord, here I come. In Jesus' name, my great physician, Lord, here I come. In Jesus' name, my great shepherd, Lord, here I come. Imagine those little kids flying into that room. In Jesus' name, my great Savior. Lord, here I come. In Jesus' name, my great King. Fly into his room. The Bible is here saying, you have the ability through the blood of Christ to come flying into the Holy of Holies. Unfettered, free, busting in the doors. Talking to Dad, Abba. Absolutely amazing. Remarkable. Also, better because of his flesh, not only his blood, but his flesh. Verse 20, which he consecrated for us, listen to this, through the veil, you guys got that right, remember the holy place, the holy of holies, and the holy place and the holy of holies was separated by the veil, and then even beyond the holy place, or I should say, preceding that is the other veil 
but the holy of holies, you had to go through that monstrosity of a veil. It was some, I forget now, some 60 feet high? It was eight inches woven uh, material thick? Eight inches thick. Can you imagine, can you imagine a, a shirt or how about a, mat, a, 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 a blanket that's eight inches thick woven together? You had to get through that to get into the Holy of Holies in the temple. Uh, you're not, you're not going to go breeze past that thing. Just keep that in your mind. Which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. As soon as they read this 2,000 years ago, you could see like their minds explode. What? And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Listen. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, that's noon, until the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., there was darkness over all the land. And at about the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 51. Remember, he's on the cross. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked. <laughs> if we just had a veil. And the rocks split open. Verse 52 of that chapter goes on to say, this is just a little side note. I had to throw this in. A lot of people don't realize this. This is Jesus on the cross. When he dies, ground shakes. And look at verse 52. I would love to have seen this. And the graves were opened. Wow. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, that is, that's died before Jesus, were raised. Oh, it gets better. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, happened twice, happened at his death on the cross and when Christ rose again from the dead, there were others that came out of the grave. <laughs> and this is the best part. They went into the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Can you imagine? Hey, Bob, how are you? <laughs> Thought you were dead. I was. <laughs> Can you imagine? You know what that is, though? We don't have time to press it, but... All of that is a foretaste of the second coming of Christ and entrance into the millennial kingdom. That's, a, that's what that's a foretaste of. Better because of his mind, verse 22, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled or washed clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, the word. Conscience cleared, washed away. The blood of Jesus provides this for us. And sixth, finally, we end here, verses 23 to 25. Better is greater. Coming out of the shadows because of this. Everything that Jesus provides for us is better. Amen. I'm not putting Isaiah down. I love Isaiah. Isaiah spoke of he who would come who's better. 
I love Moses. I'm not putting Moses down. Moses spoke of he who would come who's better. Pick the prophet, and they'll tell you about someone coming who's better. And that someone is Jesus. Friend, if you're a skeptic in the house, read, read your Bible and try to figure out why Jesus Christ is the central figure from Genesis to Revelation. His names, which are too numerous to uh, say right here and now, but names like the branch, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the one who was, who is, who is to come, the almighty, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the vine, the branch, I said that one at the beginning, it just goes on. The lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. It just never ends. It's all about him. Think about that. That alone should make people become a follower of Jesus. It's just absolutely awesome. He's greater. And the scripture here says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Amen. Hold fast. Don't listen. listen, don't worry. Keep speaking about Christ. Keep reading the word of God. Don't waver in the time of difficulty because these Hebrew followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago to whom the book of Hebrews is written to were about to enter into profound persecution. Verse 24 says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's the fact that Jesus is greater by the example he left us. Didn't he say that we should wash one another's feet? You want to do that right now? Can you imagine? Can you imagine having a service? You guys would leave that fast. But I would be gone before you. Wash one another's feet, serve one another, love one another, make sure each other's okay before ourselves. Think of that. Can you imagine? By the way, it's a lot easier to wash somebody else's feet than to have your feet washed. Have you ever done that? Every husband should wife, wa wash their wife's feet. See? And a husband would say, oh, man, come on. That's a little rough, isn't it? I mean, come on. Mow the lawn already and take out the trash. You want me to wash your feet? Yeah, because after you're done washing her feet, here's the hard part. Then, then she washes your feet. It, it is almost no problem to wash. I could wash any one of your feet. When it comes to you touching my feet, think about it. I can see your feet. You cannot see my feet. I can touch your feet. You cannot touch my feet. Think about it. Isn't it amazing? It's, a, it's so deep and personal. And yet Jesus said, wash one another's feet. Wow. And then we end with this. Jesus is greater because he's coming. He's coming again. He's coming back. Not forsaking, verse 25, the assembling of ourselves. Don't, as the, here's what it means. As the days get more difficult. Hello, 2024. Hey, anybody in Texas? As the days get harder. The Bible says, fellowship more often. 
Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. You do know that's a slam, right? That is a tough statement he makes there. Don't forsake assembling together. Oh, pst, by the way, there's a lot of bozos that are really, really falling on this one and slacking off and drifting away. There's a lot of people drifting away from the faith. That's what he's saying. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The temptation against you and I is to write everything off. We all feel it. Let's be honest. I'm going to be honest for you. This world is cold, callous, and heartless. And stupid is on steroids. Evil is everywhere. And the tendency for you and I, the temptation is to say something like, what a weirdo. What a nut. Boy, that guy's going to burn. What are, what's happening? We have to watch out. Our hearts, our hearts are picking up a little bit of the worldliness. And we need to fight that. We need to be firm but loving. Amen. The Christian should be somebody who's hard to hate. It doesn't mean you're not going to be hated. It's just that people have got to work at it to hate you. Because what do you hate them for? Because they love God. That's okay. But we have to, listen, we're in the world, but we have to make sure the world doesn't get in us. Yeah. And as we see these days getting more difficult, this whole passage in this verse here means we're going to need each other to help each other. Yeah. Okay? So let's stand right now in an attitude of prayer, if you would. I, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, not to offend you or to hurt you, but to challenge you from this moment forward. Are you someone here in this gathering, or maybe you're watching right now, and there's, if you don't show up next week, or if you don't show up to your church on Sunday, would anybody miss you? Would anybody recognize, well, hey, where are they? We're not being the church, and you're not being part of the church until we can know from one another of one another. Hey, where have you been? But if you can breeze in and out of a church, and nobody knows your name, and the church can go on just fine without you, that's terrifying. You say, Jack, this is a big church. Pretty terrifying, isn't it? But listen, we weren't always a big church. And it was still true then. There are people that would come in late and leave early. And nobody knew their name. And we were a church of 100 people. Don't be like that. If you're in Christ and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, lend yourself to him. He'll tell you what to do. As you're reading his word, he'll say, do this. And then go do it. 
Watch what happens. But one of the most beautiful things, friends, is for us to know one another enough to be able to walk up to one another and say, hey, how are you doing? How are you? I don't know if all of you were at Costco yesterday, but it <laughs> seemed like it. We were supposed to be there for like 20 minutes and an hour, hour and a half later because half this church was at Costco yesterday. <laughs> Lisa and I got in the car and it, we just, it's just, okay, forget all the plans we had. But it was beautiful. And some of you are awesome. Merry Christmas was the shout <laughs> at Costco. But you know what's great about it is? We're recognizing each other. And this one woman, I said, where have you been? I've not seen you in so long. And she goes, I, I'm at first service now. I said, I didn't know. You always used to go to third. You used to sit over there. She goes, well, now I go to first service, and I still sit over there. So then I, then I told her, I said, listen, then what's happening is I was conditioned to see you at third over there. So that's my bad. But I hope that can be said of you. Father, we dedicate our lives to you tonight. You're awesome, Lord, and There's no uh, Hebrew word for coincidence. So it's kind of cool that we had an earthquake during service. And it's very humbling. We can get excited when we move a shovel of dirt to the other side of the yard. You... You can move thousands of square miles in a second. Wow. God, you're awesome. You're righteous. You're holy. You're pure. You're glorious. And you look down upon this world that is warring against itself because it's warring against you. And there's mayhem and there's mischief, and there's evil, and there's pain, and yet still, the flowers are blooming. Still, a baby is born. Still, there's love. There's enough evidence for us to right now, tonight, stop wavering and enter into the holiest of all with all boldness and confidence because the blood of Christ covers the believer that we have been sanctified and we are being sanctified. We're living it out now. And Lord, when we cross the finish line, we enter into your glory. What an amazing life. Oh God in heaven, we commit ourselves to you now. And Father, we praise you in this song of worship and praise as we close. May we wash your feet right now with this song. In Jesus' name, let's bless him.